Hey guys, this is Brie. You are listening to Brief, the podcast that summarizes all the books. This is episode two of Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut. We are going over chapters five through ten and themes. Chapter five Billy is in a sort of zoo enclosure on the planet Tralfalmador. He asked for something to read, but the only earthling novel they had is Valley of the Dolls, so that's what he read. But then he also asks to see a Tralfalmadorian book, and he finds out that it's just a jumble of symbols. And they explain it as this. They say, there is no beginning, no middle, no end, no suspense, no moral, no causes, no effects. What we love in our books are the depths of many marvelous moments seen all at once. So in the zoo enclosure, he has a few time travel moments. First, it's his childhood road trip to the West. He's at the Grand Canyon with his family, and he's terrified looking down into the Grand Canyon, and he's so scared that he pees his pants. Then he travels to a week later. They're in the Carlsbad Caverns, and Billy is terrified that the ceiling will fall in on him, and the tour guide is telling them that the caverns are in complete darkness, and it's, they say this is probably the first time that any of these people there had experienced total darkness. And when the lights go out, it says on page 90, Billy didn't even know whether he was still alive or not. So he travels again back to the war, to the prison camp in Germany. Right after they're all showered and clothed, the Germans document all their names. So on page 91, it says, everyone was legally alive now. Before they got their names and numbers in that book, they were missing in action and probably dead. So in two days' time, their families would hear from the Red Cross that they were alive. The Americans and the British soldiers are housed together. The Americans are taken to a British camp that has been set up for years. So there's 50 British soldiers. They had been held captive since the beginning of the war. So they spent the entire war in this camp. They had not seen a woman or a child or a bird in four plus years. They were all officers, and during their stay, the Germans had come to treat them well. They liked them, and they were well taken care of because of a clerical error in the Red Cross. The Red Cross accidentally sent them 500 parcels a month instead of 50. They took very good care of themselves. They worked out a lot. They became masters at a bunch of games and sports, and they were very excited to house the American prisoners They had planned a large dinner party, a show for them, complete with party favor bags at each seat. And as an aside, the narrator says that the candles and soap they used were made from the fat of dead Jews and other enemies of the state, but they didn't know that. After dinner, the soldiers put on a show of Cinderella, and Billy goes through this night in a daze. Um... His coat catches fire at one point, and he doesn't even notice. He has a laughing fit during Cinderella, and it's so bad that they have to take him away to a medical shed. There's no real doctors there, but they tied him down and gave him morphine, and Edgar Derby volunteered to watch him. So during the night, Billy obviously travels in time. He wakes up three years after the war, He's in a ward for nonviolent mental patients in a veterans hospital in New York. He had gone there voluntarily during his final year of optometry school. 
It says that everyone in his life thought he was fine, but he and the doctors agreed that he was going crazy. The doctors, though, didn't think that it was because of the war. They attributed it to the time his dad threw him in the pool as a child and their trip to the Grand Canyon. His roommate in the hospital is Elliot Rosewater, and he is the man who introduces Billy to the science fiction author Kilgore Trout. So, like I said, Trout has a lot of books. They're all pretty terrible as far as writing goes, but Billy thinks the stories are genius. And Billy and Rosewater both think that. They are similar in that they had both come to find life to be meaningless because of what they saw in the war. And Billy was messed up from all the death he saw in the bombing of Dresden. Rosewater was messed up because he accidentally killed a 14-year-old fireman when he mistook him for a German soldier. So when Billy wakes up in that hospital, his mom is there. And anytime she comes, Billy hides under the blanket and refuses to speak to her. He gets much sicker when she's around, not because she was ugly or anything. The narrator describes her as a perfectly nice, standard-issue, brown-haired, white woman with a high school education. But she made Billy feel weak and embarrassed and ungrateful of all the things she had done for him in his life, especially ungrateful because on page 102 it says Billy didn't really like life at all. So Billy's mother and Rosewater begin a conversation while Billy hides under the blanket Rosewater is very agreeable, or at least he tries his hardest to be because he thinks that maybe that will make him happy. He's just trying to be polite, but what he really wants is to finish reading the book that he's holding, which is a Kilgore Trout book, which is about how people with mental illnesses can't be treated because their mental illnesses are in the fourth dimension and doctors can't see them. So, Billy's mother tells Rosewater that Billy is engaged to a very rich girl, the daughter of the owner of the optometry school that Billy is attending. And while they're talking, Billy falls asleep. He wakes up again in Germany, tied to the bed after his laughing fit. He sees Edgar Derby by his bed, and it says he saw in his memory of the future Derby's death by firing squad in Dresden. An Englishman comes in to check on Billy, and Derby says he's still dead to the world because of the morphine, and the Englishman comments on 105 how nice to feel nothing and still get full credit for being alive. He tells Derby that all the other soldiers have shaved their beards by now. Derby and Billy are the only two left with beards, and it says on 106, the Englishman said, you know, we've had to imagine the war here. And we have imagined that it was being fought by aging men like ourselves. We had forgotten that wars are fought by babies. When I saw those freshly shaved faces, it was a shock. My God, my God, I said to myself, it's the children's crusade. So Billy travels again to the mental hospital. His mother's gone now, but his fiance is there. Her name is Valencia Merble. Billy didn't really want to marry ugly Valencia, as she is described, She was one of the symptoms of his disease. He knew he was going crazy when he heard himself proposing marriage to her, but he gave her a diamond that he had looted from the war. So at the hospital, she asks what she can bring him. Does he need any books or anything? And he says, no, he has plenty of books. Rosewater had plenty of Kilgore Trout books. It should be noted here that one of Kilgore Trout's books had an alien life form that looks a lot like the Tralfalmadorians. So Rosewater tells Valencia about the books and how 
This alien life form studies Christians and how they find it so easy to be cruel to people who are not well connected. Like I said before, Trout's prose is terrible, but his ideas are good. And Rosewater says that no one has really heard of Kilgore Trout, and all of his books are published by different publishers. Rosewater himself wrote a letter to Kilgore Trout, but they always come back. And the narrator notes at this moment that Kilgore Trout actually lives in Billy's hometown in Ilium, and Billy will meet him. So finally, Billy travels back in time to where this chapter began, the zoo enclosure on the planet Tralfalmador. He is naked and on display in a dome. They created an earthly home for him with appliances and furniture that they stole from Sears. He's been there for six months in Earth time, but when he returns to Earth, no time will have passed. He got out of bed and got ready and made breakfast and did his exercises that he learned in the war and the Tralfalmadorians thought Billy's body was splendid, and this made Billy enjoy his body for the first time. So the aliens watch him, and they are allowed to ask him questions. So the first question is, are you happy here? And Billy says he's about as happy here as he was on Earth. So now, this is an interesting point. The Tralfalmadorians say they have five sexes on Tralfalmador, and they are all essential to creating new life. They tell Billy that they have detected no fewer than seven sexes on Earth, each essential to reproduction, but the other five sexes were in the fourth dimension and not visible to Earthlings. So, they ask Billy to explain the concept of time to them, but he can never really figure out how to explain it fully, and he expects them to be shocked by all the wars that Earth has fought, but they're not and he asks them for the secret of keeping a peaceful planet. They tell him that they know how the universe ends, and it's their fault. One of the Tralfalmadorians accidentally presses a button that blows up the universe. So Billy asks if they know this, why don't they stop him from doing it? And it says on 117, he has always pressed it, and he always will. We always let him, and we always will let him. The moment is structured that way. The Tralfalmadorians tell Billy that the one thing that Earthlings should do that might make them more peaceful is ignore the awful times and concentrate on the good ones. So Billy goes to sleep that night and he travels back in time to his wedding night with Valencia. He's been out of the mental hospital for six months now. He graduated third in his class. He is now rich. He is being rewarded for marrying a girl no one else would have married. Valencia is very happy and grateful. She never thought anyone would marry her. And after their first night together, they lay in bed and Valencia asks him about the war. And she tells him that she's proud that he was a soldier. She asks him if it was awful and Billy thought of something that would make a great epitaph, which is an inscription on a tombstone. And the inscription is, everything was beautiful and nothing hurt. She asks Billy about the time he had to bury Edgar Derby after the firing squad killed him, but Billy doesn't want to talk about it and he gets up to go to the bathroom. In the bathroom, he travels back in time to the prison hospital again. He walked out of the hospital, stumbles into a barbed wire fence. After being freed by a fellow soldier, he finds himself in the bathroom realizes that the American soldiers were all in there very sick because they had had their first real meal in months and their stomachs couldn't handle it. One of the Americans says he's emptied his entire body except his brains and then a moment later he says there they go 
And the narrator points out that this soldier was himself the author of this book. So that's the first time we see Kurt Vonnegut's actual character in the book. So Billy walks through a door and he's back in his honeymoon suite. Then he travels back in time to a train ride on his way to his father's funeral. Then he travels back to the prison hospital. Another soldier is brought in with a broken arm. It's Paul Lazaro, the man who promised Roland Weary he'd exact revenge on Billy Pilgrim. An Englishman had broken his arm on accident. A German soldier comes to visit and he's very fond of the Englishman. And he tells them that the Americans will be taken to Dresden soon. In his hands, he's holding a monograph, which was written by an American man who defected to the German ministry. He later kills himself while he's on trial as a war criminal. But the man's name is Howard W. Campbell, who is actually a real person. And he really did defect and join the German army. The German soldier reads aloud some of the passages, and he says, Howard Campbell writes about how America is the wealthiest nation, but Americans are mainly poor and taught to hate themselves for being poor, because it's a crime to be poor. It says on page 129, Their most destructive untruth is that it is very easy for any American to make money. Those who have no money blame and blame and blame themselves. This inward blame has been a treasure for the rich and powerful who have had to do less for their poor publicly and privately than any other ruling class. So he's talking about the American dream and how hard it is to rise up and make money. He discusses how American clothes its soldiers. Every other nation clothes their army in the finest materials, but America clothes their armies in a modified business suit. Billy falls asleep listening and he wakes up as a widower in his home with his daughter, Barbara. She was lecturing him for his crazy stories about aliens that he was submitting to newspapers and radios, and she realizes that the furnace is off, that his house is freezing, and she makes him go upstairs and lay under the heated blanket until it's fixed. In bed, Billy travels back to the zoo, and a mate has been brought for him, an earthling actress named Montana Wildhack. They're both naked. Montana is beautiful and young. Montana wakes up and screams, and she was asleep when they abducted her. She has no idea what's going on. And so the aliens pull down a tarp over the enclosure, and Billy turns on a lamp. And the narrator says that in time, Montana would come to love and trust Billy Pilgrim, and he didn't touch her until he was sure she wanted him to. But after a week in the zoo, they mated and it was heavenly. So Billy wakes up in his bed again as a widow under the heated blanket. The next day he decided to go back to work even though he wasn't supposed to and everyone was shocked by this but it didn't last long because he told one of his young patients who had just lost his father that his father was very much alive in other moments. He told him all about the Tralfalmadorians, about being abducted and when the nurse found out Billy was taken home. Chapter 6. Billy wakes up, so he's back in Germany, about to leave the Englishman's camp to go to Dresden. And in his coat, he finds some small lumps in the lining. One is shaped like a pea, and the other is shaped like a horseshoe. And apparently, they transmitted a message to him through radiation and told him not to try and find out what the lumps were, that they could work miracles for him if he didn't try to discover what they were. So he leaves them alone. 
In the room with him is Edgar Derby and Paul Lazaro. The Englishman who broke Lazaro's arm comes in to check on him, and Lazaro tells him that he's going to kill him after the war. The Englishman laughs at him, tells him he better not give him a reason to kill him now, and he leaves. And then Lazaro turns to Billy and Edgar and tells them that revenge is the sweetest thing in life. And he says anyone who messes with him will be killed. He even killed a dog once who bit him. He sounds a lot like Roland Weary. It says he could never kill someone innocent, though. It says nobody ever got it from Lazaro who didn't have it coming. And he says that after the war, he will find the Englishman and pay someone to kill him by knocking on his door one day and shooting him randomly. And he says he has multiple people who will kill for him for just $1,000. Then he reminds Billy that he promised Roland Weary he would kill him and advises him not to answer the door after the war. But Billy already knows how he will die. Lazaro will keep his promise. He will kill him someday because Billy has seen his death many times and he recorded the events of his death on a tape recorder that's being held in a lockbox in his hometown. Billy says he's killed in Chicago on February 13th, 1976, while giving a speech on the subject of flying saucers and the true nature of time. The United States has been separated at this point into 20 petty nations, apparently so that it will never again be a threat to world peace. During his speech, Billy predicts his own death will happen within the hour. The crowd protests, but Billy says, if you protest... If you think that death is a terrible thing, then you have not understood a word I've said. He closes his speech, farewell, hello, farewell, hello. So after his speech, some police officers offer to stay with him for protection, but he refuses, saying, it is time for me to be dead for a little while and then live again. And the assassin, presumably Lazaro or one of his men, kills Billy with a laser gun, and it says on 143, he experiences death for a while. It is simply violet light and a hum. There isn't anybody else there. Not even Billy Pilgrim is there. But he swings back into life again in 1945 in the room with Lazaro and Derby. The narrator comments that if Lazaro had been a dog, a policeman would have shot him and sent his head to a laboratory to see if he had had rabies. So the Englishmen gather the Americans into the theater for their final goodbye. Billy remembers that he doesn't have any shoes and he sees Cinderella's silver boots they're a perfect fit obviously so he wears them along with his fur coat and everybody thinks he looks like a clown and the Englishmen name Edgar Derby to be the leader of the Americans and they say that Dresden is a beautiful city that it's untouched by war and on 146 it says you needn't worry about bombs by the way Dresden is an open city it is undefended and contains no war industries or troop concentrations of any importance. So they get into the train cars and they head to Dresden. On their way, Derby is writing letters in his head to his wife, telling her not to worry, that he'll be home soon. Dresden will never be bombed. So once they arrive, they're ushered out of the train cars and into what the narrator describes as the loveliest city most of them had ever seen. And one of the Americans calls the city Oz, and the narrator points out that that was him, the author of the book again. So that's the other time we see him. It says on 148, every other city in Germany had been bombed and burned ferociously. Dresden had not suffered so much as a cracked windowpane. 
in Dresden, eight German men had been sworn into the army just the previous day. They were going to be in charge of the 100 American prisoners of war who were there for contract labor. These eight German men were nervous at first to be put in charge of so many American soldiers, but when they saw Billy Pilgrim dressed as a clown, old Edgar Derby, and skinny Paul Lazaro at the front, they laughed. They were no longer scared. The American soldiers were led through the streets of Dresden, and people gawked and laughed at them, especially Billy. One man, a German surgeon, is very offended by Billy's appearance, and he thinks he's being comical on purpose, like he's mocking them and the war. Billy doesn't know what to do, so he reaches inside the lining of his coat and pulls out the two items that were supposed to bring him miracles. The horseshoe-shaped one is dentures, and the other is a two-carat diamond. And that's what he loots from the war and gives to his future wife. The Americans are taken to a slaughterhouse where they will live. It's meant to be a shelter for pigs before slaughter or other animals. And the German soldiers tell them to remember their address. It's easy enough, Slaughterhouse 5, and they teach them how to say it in German. Chapter 7. So it's 25 years later. Billy is getting on a plane with 28 other optometrists, including his father-in-law, for a conference in Montreal. Billy knows that this plane will crash because of his time travel and that the co-pilot and himself will be the only survivors. On the plane, four men are singing a Polish song. They are optometrists, but they're also a barbershop quartet. They call themselves the Febs, the Four-Eyed Bastards. Them singing as a barbershop quartet makes Billy remember a public hanging he saw in Dresden. A Polish man was lynched for sleeping with a German woman. Billy falls asleep. He wakes up in 1944 to Roland Weary just before they were captured by the Germans. The plane crashes in Vermont. Billy fractures his skull, but he survives, and some Austrian skiers are the first ones to find him. They hear Billy on the plane when they're searching for survivors. They hear him saying Slaughterhouse 5 in German. Billy has surgery, he's unconscious for a few days, and during this time he is obviously traveling in time. First to the first night in the slaughterhouse, he and Edgar Derby are being led by one of the German guard soldiers. He's a 16-year-old boy named Warner Gluck, and they're trying to find the kitchen to go get dinner when they accidentally open a door that leads to a room full of beautiful naked girls showering. The girls were German refugees from a city that had just been bombed, and this is the first time Billy and Gluck have seen naked women. They leave. They finally make it to the kitchen. The woman who is cooking for them is annoyed because they're late, and she looks at the three men and asks Gluck if he isn't too young to be a soldier, asks Derby if he isn't too old to be a soldier, and asks Billy what he's supposed to be. And she says on 159, all the real soldiers are dead. And the narrator says this is true. So while Billy's unconscious in the hospital, he also sees the work he was made to do in Dresden. So during their time in Dresden, the American soldiers worked at a malt syrup factory. They cleaned it and the factory produced a syrup that was enriched with vitamins and minerals and was made for pregnant women. The soldiers would sneak spoonfuls all of the time. I mean, they need vitamins too, right? Especially because they're very malnutritioned. But this was a crime. So they hid spoons all around the factory. And Billy tasted it for the first time on his second day there. 
and it says on 160, every cell in Billy's body shook him with ravenous gratitude and applause. And Billy gives a spoonful to Derby, and he bursts into tears after tasting it. Chapter 8. It opens on 162. It says, the Americans in the slaughterhouse had a very interesting visitor two days before Dresden was destroyed. He was Howard W. Campbell, an American who had become a Nazi. So you remember Howard W. Campbell. He was the author of the pages that that German soldier was reading to Billy and the others that were in the hospital bed. Howard has come to the slaughterhouse to recruit men for a German military unit called the Free American Corps. So he invented this unit, which was supposed to only fight on the Russian front. And he's wearing a ridiculous outfit he made for himself, including black cowboy boots decorated with swastikas and a shoulder patch depicting the silhouette of Abraham Lincoln. But he tried really hard to sell these American soldiers on joining this unit. He offered them food, including steak and a lot of other things, but he's met with silence and he tells them that at some point they're going to have to fight the communists. But Edgar Derby stands up and denounces Howard in what the narrator describes as the finest moment of his life. He calls Howard a snake, then he corrects himself saying that snakes can't help being snakes and that he's lower than snakes, a rat or a tick. And he talks about how great America is and that all of these men would gladly die for America. And he tells him that America is going to crush the disease of Nazism, which wanted to infect the whole world. So at that moment, an air raid forces them all to take shelter in a meat locker beneath the slaughterhouse. It was a false alarm. It says on 165, nothing happened that night. It was the next night that about 130,000 people in Dresden would die. So Billy falls asleep in the meat locker. He travels forward in time. He's arguing with his daughter. She blames the author Kilgore Trout for Billy's stories about being abducted by aliens. And Billy thinks about the first time he met Kilgore Trout in his hometown. He found him on accident in 1964, and Trout was truly shocked when Billy told him he was a fan. He had never met a fan before. Says he didn't even think of himself as a writer because no one ever allowed him to think of himself in this way. Billy invites Trout to his 18th wedding anniversary. Everyone there is associated with optometry except for Trout, and he's a really big hit at the party. And during the party, there's a barbershop quartet, the Febs, that sing later on the plane that crashes. And Billy is visibly upset by their singing, and everyone is worried that he's having a heart attack, and he can't figure out why they have such a negative effect on him. It says on 173, Billy had supposed for years that he had no secrets from himself. Here was proof that he had a great big secret somewhere inside, and he could not imagine what it was. Kilgore Trout thinks that Billy has seen through a time window, but Billy says no. He knows what that feels like, and that's not what it was. And he goes upstairs to calm down. He lies in bed, and he remembers the night that Dresden was bombed. The American prisoners of war and four German soldiers were in the meat locker taking cover. And when it was all over, they walked out of the meat locker to find Dresden destroyed. It says that Dresden was like the surface of the moon. And everyone was dead except for them, and the four German guards huddled close together in awe of their lost city, and it says their facial expressions changed as they took it all in, 
and Billy realized that they looked like a barbershop quartet in a silent film. And so that's why this barbershop quartet has such a negative effect on him. So as he lies in bed, Billy travels in time to the zoo enclosure on Tralfalmador, Montana, the actress who he is mated with, is now six months pregnant with their child. And Billy tells her about Dresden, about the guards, and how Dresden looked like the moon. So we're back in bed now, and he's remembering Dresden. It says, after it is destroyed, the survivors walk around trying to find food and water. On 180, it says, nobody talks much as the expedition crossed the moon. There was nothing appropriate to say. One thing was clear. Absolutely everybody in the city was supposed to be dead, regardless of what they were, and that anybody moved in it represented a flaw in the design. There were to be no moon men at all. So they pass dead bodies everywhere, and an American fighter plane flies over them and shoots at them but misses. And on 180, it says the reason that they bombed Dresden was to hasten the end of the war. So they finally find an inn, and the innkeeper lets them in, gives them food and water, and lets them sleep there. It's in a suburb of Dresden that wasn't hit. And the innkeeper asks if there's anyone else out there, and they say they didn't see anyone alive at all. Chapter 9. Here's how Billy Pilgrim lost his wife, Valencia. So the plane crashes in Vermont. Billy's taken to the hospital, and Valencia drives from her home to Vermont to see him. On the way there, she rear-ends a car, not fatally, but in her panic, she leaves, not realizing that she left her exhaust system behind. So when she gets to the hospital, she passes out from carbon monoxide poisoning and dies within the hour. Billy, while this happens, is unconscious in his hospital bed. He's traveling in time. In the hospital, he has a roommate. His name is Bertram Copeland Rumford. He's a Harvard professor of history. He was in a skiing accident with his fifth wife. So Rumford was 70 years old, but he had the body and spirit of a man half that age. His fifth wife was Lily. She was 23. It says on 185, he knew very little about her except that she was one more public demonstration that he was a superman. So Rumford is working at the time on writing a condensed history of the U.S. Army Air Force in World War II. He is retired from the Air Force and was now the official Air Force historian, a full professor, the author of 26 books, a multimillionaire since birth, and one of the greatest competitive sailors of all time. His most popular book was about sex and strenuous athletics for men over 65. So he sent his wife, Lily, to Boston to get some of his books, including a copy of President Truman's announcement about the atomic bomb that had been dropped on Hiroshima in 1945. Another book Lily brought was The Destruction of Dresden by David Irving. This is a real book and a real person. David Irving is a Holocaust denier which I guess I just didn't realize was a real thing. I've heard that before, but I didn't realize there were actually people who believed the Holocaust wasn't real. But David Irving believes that Hitler didn't know about and or opposed the extermination of Jews. His book became an international bestseller, and he estimated the death toll of Dresden between 100 and 300,000 
but 30 years later adjusted the figure to 50 to 100,000. So Rumford wanted this book because of the foreword in it. One of the people who writes in the foreword, his last name is Eaker, on 187, he says, I deeply regret that British and U.S. bombers killed 135,000 people in the track on Dresden. But I remember who started the last war, and I regret even more the loss of more than 5 million Allied lives and the necessary effort to completely defeat and utterly destroy Nazism. Another person with the last name Sondby says that Dresden was a tragedy, but it was necessary. On 188, it says, Those who approved it were neither wicked nor cruel, though it may well be that they were too remote from the harsh realities of war to understand fully the appalling destructive power of air bombardment in the spring of 1945. So Billy regains consciousness in the hospital, and he doesn't know where he is. He sees his son Robert in his green beret uniform, wearing a purple heart. He's returned from Vietnam to come see Billy, and Billy remembers him as a boy and how he flunked out of high school, how he was an alcoholic at age 15 and arrested for tipping over hundreds of tombstones in a Catholic graveyard, and now he's a leader of men. So Billy misses his wife's funeral because he's stuck in the hospital. Doctors and family sort of believe that Billy's in a vegetative state because he's unresponsive, but really he was just preparing his mind for the reveal of his Tralfalmadorian friends. On 190, it says, the negligibility of death and the true nature of time. He was just preparing to, you know, announce all of this. Rumford doesn't like Billy, especially because Billy makes random exclamations when he's unconscious, and he doesn't understand why they don't just let Billy die. Rumford is talking to his wife about the bombing of Dresden and how he's supposed to write about it in his book. It's supposed to be a condensed version, like I said, of the 27-volume history of the Army Air Force in World War II. And it says on 191, there was almost nothing in the 27 volumes about the Dresden Raid, even though it had been such a howling success. So this is true, that Dresden was largely kept quiet from the American people after the war. Rumford says that now, 23 years after the war, Americans are finally hearing about Dresden and how it was much worse than Hiroshima. Rumford's wife asks why it was kept a secret for so long, and Rumford says, for fear that a lot of bleeding hearts might not think it was such a wonderful thing to do. And in this moment, Billy speaks up and says, I was there. Rumford doesn't believe him at first, thinks he's just gone insane, but after a few more days of Billy telling him he was there, Rumford finally starts to believe him, but he doesn't ask him questions quite yet. So Billy travels in time to Dresden, two days after the war ended. He and some fellow soldiers are riding a horse-drawn wagon. They're raiding houses for weapons and food, and Billy was happy and warm in the back of the wagon lying in the sun. So when they arrived back at the slaughterhouse, he stays in the wagon and falls asleep. It says on 194, it was peaceful in the ruins. Later in life, on the planet Tralfalmador, they would tell Billy to concentrate on the happy moments of his life and ignore the unhappy ones. And this is the moment that Billy chooses as his happiest moment, his sun-drenched snooze in the back of the wagon. But in the back of the wagon, he wakes up to two angry Germans reprimanding him for the state of the horses, whose mouths and hooves were bleeding. And Billy burst into tears when he saw the state of the horses, and he hadn't cried about anything else in the war up to that point. So back in the hospital, 
Rumford finally decides to ask Billy questions about Dresden. So Billy tells him the story. He ends it with the horses and the wagon. And the next day, he says the Russians arrested everybody. And two days later, Billy was turned over to the Americans and sent home. Rumford tells him that Dresden had to be done and asks Billy if he has mixed feelings about it, having been there. And Billy says on 198, it was all right. Everything's all right, and everybody has to do exactly what he does. I learned that on Chalfalmador. His daughter Barbara comes to take him home and gets him a live-in nurse. And that's when one night Billy sneaks out, drives to New York to tell his story of Chalfalmador on the radio. He stays in Times Square. He sees in an adult bookstore four of Kilgore Trout's books, and he goes in to read one, and he realizes that he's read it before. It's about a man and a woman who were abducted and taken to an alien planet and placed in a zoo enclosure. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) But also in the bookstore, he sees a magazine with the headline, What Really Became of Montana Wild Hack? The store clerk tells him to go in the back. Um, Like I said, it's an adult bookstore, so that's where they keep all the pornographic films and pictures. And Billy goes back there, but he just glances and then he leaves. And on 200, the narrator says... The pictures were a lot more Tralfalmadorian than the movies, since you could look at them whenever you wanted to, and they wouldn't change. Twenty years in the future, those girls would still be young. So Billy leaves the bookstore, and he goes to a radio station. He claims to be a journalist, and the radio show lets him on this panel of literary critics who are discussing whether or not the novel is dead. When Billy gets his chance to speak, he talks about Tralfalmador and Montana Wild Hack and the nature of time. And it says he is gently expelled from the studio and he goes back to his hotel and goes to sleep. And when he does, he travels back to Tralfalmador where Montana is breastfeeding their child. And she can tell he's been traveling in time. And she tells him that the Tralfalmadorians have been messing with their earthly clocks again, making them speed up and slow down. Okay, chapter 10. It's 1968. Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. have both been assassinated within one month of each other. The Vietnam War is going on, and the nightly news is filled with body counts. Billy says that the Tralfalmadorians care more about Darwin than Jesus, because Darwin's views on death are similar to theirs. On 210, it says, Darwin taught that those who died are meant to die, that corpses are improvements. So, it should be noted that one of Kilgore Trout's books depicts aliens asking an earthling about Darwin. So again, we see a lot of the things that Billy claims from his alien abduction in life come from Trout books. So the narrator, Kurt Vonnegut, says this on 2.11, If what Billy Pilgrim learned from the Tralfalmadorians is true, that we will all live forever, no matter how dead we may sometimes seem to be, I am not overjoyed. Still, if I am going to spend eternity visiting this moment and that, I am grateful that so many of those moments are nice. The narrator says that one of those nice moments was the plane ride to Dresden with his war buddy O'Hare when they go back to visit years later. So Billy travels back in time to Dresden again two days after the war, and he is digging for bodies with Kurt Vonnegut and Bernard O'Hare and all the other soldiers. The remaining soldiers try to get all the bodies dug up and buried, but they keep finding more and more in what they refer to as rotting corpse mines. So they decide to just cremate them where they lie. 
So during all of this, Edgar Derby steals a teapot and is arrested and convicted for plundering, and he is executed by firing squad. And this happens when the war is already over. So it's around springtime, and they close up all the corpse mines, and Billy's group was locked in a stable. And one day, they get up and discover that the door is unlocked. World War II in Europe is over. They wandered out, and they find the only vehicle that they can. It's a horse-drawn wagon. On the last page, it says, the birds were talking, and one says, poo wheat We did it, guys. We made it to the end of the book. And now I'm going to go over themes. So like I said, the themes that I'm going to talk about are war, death, and time. And I'm just going to briefly talk about them. So the first theme is war. So the bombing of Dresden destroyed 1,600 acres. In this book, it stated that around 130 people were killed in the bombing. But studies now show that it was probably closer to 25,000 people. I don't think the true numbers will ever be known. But Kurt Vonnegut opens a discussion on the after effects of war on the people inside of it. And Billy seems to use the Trauthalmadorian narrative as a way of escaping his war experiences. He has to create a theory of death as not final in order to process all the death he has seen. So in the beginning, we learn that Kurt Vonnegut promised his buddy's wife that he would write an anti-war book about how children fight wars and die for old men to gain power, which is what he does. And that's why we see so many instances where he calls, you know, the soldiers babies or talks about how young they are. And Kurt Vonnegut decided that it was finally time to publish this book during the Vietnam War because people were finally starting to become anti-war and questioning what they were being taught about the Vietnam War, about World War II, and so it was finally, he could finally publish an anti-war book and people would understand it the way that he wanted to understand it. And some of his main points about war in the book are, one, that wars are fought by babies, and two, that the effects of the people who fight these wars, the after effects on them, are very tragic and they deal with them their whole lives a lot of them go crazy a lot of most of them suffer from PTSD and the third thing is everything about Dresden and how it was unnecessary how they killed hundreds of thousands of people just to hasten the end of the war they killed a lot of their own people anyway just so much tragedy came from war And that's why he wrote this anti-war book. The second theme I'm going to briefly talk about is death. So like I said, any and all mentions of death in this book, whether it's an animal or a person, ends with the phrase, so it goes. And this is an adoption of the Tralfalmadorian belief that death is not final and that those who die are still alive in every other moment of their lives. And they say that death is an experience rather than a final farewell. When Billy dies, they say that it, that he experiences death and then he's plunged right back into life in a different time. And this is further proof that the Tralfalmadorians are in his imagination. I guess you can believe what you want. No one ever really says, but in my opinion, 
this comes from his imagination, especially from the trauma that he has experienced. And then he's using all of these science fiction books by Kilgore Trout to come up with this narrative that he was abducted by aliens. And he did this because he had to create a theory of death that's not final as a coping mechanism to deal with all the death that he saw in his life and in order to cope with all of the trauma he experienced from the war. So the last theme I'm going to talk about is time. This whole book is about time. Time travel, how we experience time. The Chalfalmadorians believe that time is fluid, that everything is happening at the same time, past, present, future, all of it is happening at the same time. And Billy, like I said, has become unstuck in time. He's become unstuck in reality. And he spends his life traveling back and forth through different times and events in his life. He experiences time differently than most people on this earth, or earthlings, I guess, is what the Trafalmadorians would say. He experiences time as they do, as fluid, as everything happening at the same time and always happening the same way because it has to happen the same way. Okay, so that's the end. We made it through Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut. I love that book. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Go follow Brief Podcast on Instagram. Subscribe on Spotify or iTunes or whatever you listen on. And we'll see you here for the next book.